0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hello, I'm Barbara Perry, Professor of Psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego. I'm going to be talking to you today on peripartum depression and its chronobiological aspects. First, there are gender-differentiated predispositions to both medical and psychiatric illness. Men are more prone to cardiovascular disease, violence, and alcoholism. Women to thyroid disease, eating disorders, and depression. Women are at increased risk for depression throughout their reproductive years. And this is occurring in all cultures and countries. The theories for why women predominate with respect to depression include genetic, Psychological, social, hormonal, and circadian rhythms, and I will be focusing on hormonal and the role of circadian rhythms today. Women predominate with depression in many f- forms. First, a unipolar depression or recurrent depressive episodes. Uh, there's an incidence of at least two to one in females to males throughout the world. Uh, there are only two exceptions that I'm aware of. First one of uh, a study by Jules Angst in Zurich, Switzerland, where both men and women are required to register for the draft, and they diagnose depression at that time. And then when they follow them up, they find that the men have just forgotten that they've had a depression, but that's not been replicated. The other exception is the Amish population, and that's maybe because if a woman is depressed, she's still expected to function in the home, and it doesn't show up to the elders of the community where if a man becomes depressed, it's much more prevalent. He's not out building the barn, and there's less alcoholism in that population. With respect to bipolar illness, though there's an equal incidence in men and women, women are more prone to depression and men to episodes of mania. Cyclical forms of depression predominate in women, including rapid cycling bipolar disorder and seasonal affective disorder or winter depression. Is the reproductive system a source of vulnerability? Evidence suggests that oral contraceptive can induce depression. It's one of the most common reasons women become depressed, mostly with the progestin contents. In Europe, they offer vitamin B6 or pyridoxine with their oral contraceptives, which helps to reduce that risk. By definition, premenstrual dysphoric disorder occurs at one physiologic time of the menstrual cycle, and remits at another physiologic time. The postpartum period is the most likely time for a woman to become depressed during her lifetime, and the perimenopause also is associated with an increased risk for depression. In the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders in the 5th edition, peripartum mood disorders are listed as an onset specifier or either a bipolar or a depressive episode, the onset of depression during pregnancy, or in the four weeks following delivery is the onset specifier. This isn't quite clinically accurate in that although the onset of a postpartum depression can occur within the four weeks after delivery, it peaks around three to five months postpartum. Our European and Australian colleagues are much further advanced historically in this, studying this area than we are. One of the first studies in this country was by the epidemiologist Paffenbarker, whose wife suffered a postpartum psychosis. And what you can notice if you look at the dotted line here, which is the incidence of mental illness in non childbearing women, during pregnancy, the risk is much lower. But the first month postpartum, there's a dramatic increase in the onset of mental illness. And in this study, that risk is maintained for six months following delivery compared with pregnancy. This parallels a a much larger study by Kendall out of Edinburgh of 10,000 patients, which was a replication of a previous 10,000-patient study. And again, whether it's all admissions or psychosis admissions, during pregnancy, the rate is very low, but right after a delivery within the first month, there's a peak. And in this study, that risk remains elevated compared with pregnancy for up to two years postpartum. There are several different types of mood syndromes postpartum. We break it down into three different categories. Now, the English, who are more nosologists, have at least five categories so the Americans tend to be more lumpers than splitters. Um, but maternity blues is not really considered a disorder. It occurs in 50 to 80% of women. It usually doesn't start until the third day postpartum. So nowadays, when women are discharged from the hospital by the third postpartum day, they used to be there for a week, um, the obstetricians don't see it. And it's characterized by rapid shifts in mood of crying, irritability, and euphoria. In contrast, postpartum depression is a much more severe depression characterized by what we call melancholia. Ten to fifteen percent of women are at risk for it. Eighty percent occur within the first six weeks, and the duration is generally six to nine months, and also characterized by sleep disturbance even when the child is sleeping. Postpartum psychosis is the most severe form, occurs in about one in a thousand women has an acute onset within the first two weeks postpartum. If treated early, it can have a good prognosis, lasting two to three months. 90% of psychoses are mood disorders, 40% present with mania, and it's characterized by much delirium and confusion. Uh, The distinguishing features of a postpartum mood disorder compared to a non-postpartum mood disorder include a younger age at onset, increased frequency of episodes, decreased psychomotor activity, increased confusion, increased family history of a mood disorder, and increased incidence of depressive relapse and menopause. The risk factors for postpartum mood disorders include being primiparous, a history of postpartum mood disorder, a personal or family history of mood disorder, older age, and postpartum hypothyroidism. There's a high recurrence of postpartum mood disorders, so it's not something that can be ignored in postpartum psychosis. One in five have a subsequent postpartum psychosis. One in three have subsequent postpartum depression. With regard to postpartum depression, there's a 50% chance of recurrence in a third of pregnancies. And for non-postpartum mood disorders, a 35 to f- approximately 45% rate of re- recurrence. Now, with re- Respect to um, the circadian rhythm basis for these uh, mood disorders, estradiol and progesterone change dramatically during pregnancy and drop precipitously postpartum. Estradiol and progesterone regulate circadian rhythms of melatonin and sleep. Normally, melatonin and sleep are synchronized so that melatonin goes up right before sleep, a couple hours before sleep. Peaks during the mid-sleep time and then comes back down in the morning. But with the change in reproductive hormones, melatonin can be shifted later with respect to sleep or it can be shifted earlier with respect to sleep. And likewise, sleep time can become desynchronized with respect to melatonin. The sleep can be shifted later or it can be shifted earlier. When we studied melatonin rhythms which is the best measure of circadian rhythms in humans. In plasma, you can see the normal and the yellow rhythm of melatonin. But in the depressed patients, that melatonin rhythm is lower and shifted earlier. Melatonin is an important contributor to synchronizing other rhythms in the body. And for those women who have a personal history of depression, that rhythm is shifted earlier. And the more depressive episodes a woman has had, the earlier her melatonin offset time is. So it's not just a fleeting abnormality. In contrast, postpartum women, in contrast to the pregnant depressed women and normal controls, have higher levels of melatonin, particularly in the early morning hours that are shifted later or phase delayed. And across pregnancy... In the left panel, as estradiol and progesterone increase dramatically during pregnancy, the melatonin levels increase in normal controls. But in the depressed pregnant women, there, as though their melatonin isn't getting that signal increase, so there's less melatonin rise across pregnancy, impairing the ability of melatonin to synchronize other rhythms. And in postpartum, Normally, as the estradiol and progesterone levels decrease, then the uh, melatonin levels tend to decrease in the normal controls, but that signal doesn't seem to be communicated in the depressed patients, so their melatonin levels continue to rise. The treatment of peripartum depression. uh, There are multiple treatments. Uh, I don't have time to review each of these treatments, but I want to make the point that it's much more serious for a woman not to be treated for depression either during pregnancy or postpartum. Um, that has adverse consequences on both the fetus and the developing infant and can cause emotional and neurocognitive development uh, delays and problems and now been studied for up to at least 17 years uh, after delivery. So none of these agents used to treat peripartum depression have serious teratologic risks. So, again, it's much better to treat than not to treat. But they do have side effects. And so, we've been looking into examining shifting sleep and light schedules to resynchronize abnormal circadian rhythms. And the idea is that in a normal, happy camper on the top panel, the sleep and the circadian clock, as measured by melatonin, is in phase. Sometimes the clock can be delayed. Progesterone tends to delay circadian rhythms. So we treat that with giving bright morning light, which can correct that disturbance. If the sleep is advanced, then we delay sleep to correct that disturbance. If the circadian clock is advanced, then we can give evening light, bright light, which delays circadian rhythms to correct. And if the sleep is delayed, then we advance sleep to correct the disturbance. Now, one of life's great paradoxes is that if you take a depressed patient and you keep them up all night, majority of them are better the next day. That was discovered in Europe where patients with bipolar illness, the nurses noticed before they switched from a depression into a mania, they were up all night. So if they took a depressed patient and kept them all, up all night, they were better the next day. The problem was they would often relapse as soon as they went back to sleep, even for a few minutes of rapid eye movement or REM sleep. Subsequent studies have shown you don't need to be up the whole night, that only half the night is required to convert a depressed patient or treat them with a half a night of sleep restriction. So a majority of depressed patients do respond to what we call, rather than sleep deprivation, wake therapy. Uh, The effects may occur in one day. Uh, some, but not all, patients may relapse with when they go back to sleep. And some, but not all, studies suggest that the wake therapy in the second, but not the first half of the night, might be effective, but that may depend on someone's underlying circadian rhythms. So we wanted to try this treatment in peripartum depression. Uh, sleep disturbance characterized pregnancy and postpartum depression. Even when the child is sleeping postpartum, I don't have time to present the evidence of sleep disturbances at this time. But there is concern, as mentioned, with using pharmacological interventions because of potential effects on the fetus and infant. And critically timed wake therapy may offer potential benefit within one day. How this works, Uh, we think that this may realign sleep in the circadian cycle. It may suppress rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep. All antidepressants virtually suppress REM sleep, and if you just suppress REM sleep, you get antidepressant effects in the same time it takes an antidepressant to work, which is several weeks. It also may increase what we call the homeostatic drive. The longer you've been awake, the more likely you're to go to sleep, and it improves your sleep quality. And these wake therapy interventions also change, make changes in the, the neuroendocrine system, particularly the thyroid system. So we examined, uh, took pregnant depressed women and postpartum depressed women and we they underwent a night of either late wake therapy where they're awake in the second part of the night and they sleep in the first part of the night from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. or early wake therapy where they are awake in the early part of the night and they sleep in the second part of the night from three to seven, 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. And we found that in the pregnant women They, depressed women, they responded better to the early night wake therapy, whereas the postpartum women responded better to the late wake therapy. And that may be because it's correcting the circadian rhythm abnormality. In pregnancy, the rhythms are shifted earlier, so we delay sleep. In postpartum depressed women, the rhythms are shifted later, so we advance uh, and restrict sleep. So for the clinical, bottom line, for pregnancy depression, one night of early night wake therapy. You wake until 3 a.m. and sleep until 7 a.m. For postpartum depression, you have one night of late night wake therapy, where you sleep, go to sleep at 9 p.m. and wake at 1 a.m. We avoid encourage avoiding naps, and if ne- needed, repeat it in uh, one week. Uh, but some of these interventions have worked up to six months afterwards. Now, to address the issue that After wake therapy, some patients may relapse. One way of preventing that relapse is adding light therapy. And so using the combination seems uh, mutually advantageous. Wake therapy will hasten and potentiate the effects of light therapy, which otherwise may take like five weeks to exert its significant uh, antidepressant effects. And then light therapy prevents the relapse that may occur Uh, after wake therapy. And phase advancing or shifting earlier versus phase delaying, shifting later, the wake and light interventions help to realign disturbed melatonin and sleep circadian rhythms. So there are more potent effects of this combined therapy. The conceptual model is that at baseline in pregnant women, the circadian rhythms are shifted earlier or phase advanced with respect to sleep. So we delay sleep and we give evening light, which helps to delay circadian rhythms. And this correction of the sleep and circadian rhythm dysfunction improves and we get an improved mood and sleep function. In contrast, in postpartum depressed patients, um, the melatonin rhythms are phase delayed or shifted later with respect to sleep. So we advance sleep in a phase advance intervention and give morning bright light, which advances circadian rhythms, and as a result, we get an improved function in mood and sleep as a result of phase-advancing melatonin rhythms relative to sleep. And in fact, this is what we observed in pregnant women. They had a positive response to the early wake therapy plus the PM evening bright white light, and in contrast, the postpartum depressed patients uh, did better with late wake therapy and morning bright white light. So the treatment implications for combining sleep and light therapy in depressed women, that when the circadian rhythms of melatonin are phase-delayed or shifted later, and we have found this in premenstrual depression, postpartum depression, and menopausal depression, we advance and restrict sleep and give morning bright white light. With the phase-advanced melatonin rhythms that are shifted earlier, like in pregnancy, we delay and restrict sleep and give evening bright white light. And we can get an effect within one day and then maintain that effect. Uh, Since you make the diagnosis depression over two weeks, we get the effect within one to two weeks. And the improved mood correlates with the change in melatonin. So these treatments may have positive benefits. Your mother just wants to let you know that she's finally over her postpartum depression. This is nothing new. As Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, truly the light is good and is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. If we ever intend to take over the world, one thing we'll have to do is synchronize our biological clocks. And I wanted to emphasize not just women suffer postpartum psychosis. This is a sketch of Theseus uh, Tass. He suffered a postpartum psychosis after the birth of his third child and killed his wife and all three children. He went to the ruler Theseus, and to make penance, he was given these tasks of Hercules. Thank you. This work couldn't have been done without my valuable laboratory team. Alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much, as Helen Keller said. Thank you.